If you want to look for yourself in the nativity narrative, always a risky proposition, but we're probably most like the shepherds. Hapless outsiders who have no real idea what's going on at all until they are overwhelmed with news of incredible grace. That's pretty close to us, those of us who know Jesus. Because if you've been saved long enough and you've studied the Bible and, 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 and been a part of a fellowship and, and, and learned the scriptures, you've, you've learned that your salvation was not your idea. You know, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not much prone to um, what many of you would see as traditional altar calls much at, at McGregor in this age. We have people being saved and we certainly are calling people to the gospel. But even in the altar call ecology of, of uh, Bellevue, where I served as a, as a much, much younger man, Dr. Rogers used to say regarding the initiative in salvation, that if you'll take one step toward Jesus, he'll take the second step. And by the time you take the third step, you will realize it was he who took the first step. I like that. The Lord initiates grace toward people. And we have a, we have a very graphic moment of that as we, as we um, and I'm so grateful for brother, brother Mike Hess and his, his walking us through the first seven verses last Wednesday night. And as, as brother Mark said, if you've not, if you weren't here to hear that, it would, you'd be wise to go to the McGregor uh, podcast page. It's not that complicated. Your phone knows how to do this and get that podcast and, and download it and listen to it. And in, in town, in a town whose, whose population was somewhat swollen at this moment by the travel requirements imposed by the Roman Empire census. You were, you were to go to the ancestral center of your uh, family tree. David had a lot of descendants. And so Bethlehem had overflowed. Um, and yet, David and, I mean, Joseph and Mary had the obligation because of, of Joseph's descent from David, both Joseph and Mary descended from David um, because chasing a rabbit for a moment. That's why the two genealogies differ. The genealogy of Matthew, the genealogy of Luke are different because Matthew is the legal genealogy that traces Jesus's necessary prophetic connections in a legal way through his legal, but not biological father. But in addition to being legally in those prophetic lineages. I've got this very much on my mind because I'm touching on some of this this coming Sunday morning. He, he has to be biologically connected to these people as well. Well, the only human being he's got a biological ancestry through is Mary. And so the Luke genealogy descends through Mary. Anyway, they find themselves in Bethlehem and the, the, Temporary lodging facilities in Bethlehem are overrun. 
They end up in the barn. We, um, we have incredible preschool, two different incredible preschool weekday ministries here. And I had the joy last week of doing a Christmas chapel for the Learning Cove. Um, you know, Pastor Russell, please come tell them the true story of Christmas. You have eight minutes. And, and the old ones in the room are pre-K. So I, 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 did a little, I did a little Pastor Mark thing. I, I did a little warm up for 90 seconds. I asked them what a manger was. And a manger is a place where Jesus was. That's right. But what is a manger? I think finally one, one little boy said it's, it's where they feed the animals. I was proud of him he knew that. We've, we've taken the word manger and we romanticize it, right? Uh, away in a manger, you know, away in a cow trough. Uh, we, we don't. But the baby is born and he's in the manger. And that's last week. Meanwhile, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that, they had been, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. That would probably be far enough for tonight. Probably not late December. Can't say that with certainty because the heart of the Holy Land is, is a temperate climate. And just like in Fort Myers, there will be pleasant evenings in January where you will you will hang out on your lanai with or without a fire pit. And it's not inconceivable that it could be a date that we would identify as late December. But the odds don't favor it. The routine outdoor pasturing of flocks would have been more a, a spring and even summer thing. That's not to blow up your Christmas, but if it helps you de-stress a little bit, no one's coming on the 25th. 
25th is probably not the right date anyway. Relax. Pick a date and celebrate Jesus. Don't stress over the date. Roman numeral one, routine. Routine. These shepherds are just a bunch of guys at work. There's nothing at all. If, if the astrological sign in the sky and the, and the supernatural star that is going to begin the process of summoning the Magi out of Persia, if that sign is already evident in the sky, these guys don't know how to look for that. They would have been very familiar with the night sky, but if you're as familiar with the night sky as they are living out in a field that are outside at night all the time in a, in a pre-electric light civilization, they would know of, 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 they wouldn't know what the planets necessarily were, but they would know that the night sky, things move around a little bit sometimes. Some things are fixed, some things move, some things appear and then aren't there again, comets and such. Bottom line, these guys don't know anything's going on. There is, there is an intentional, uh, I don't, it's a big word, but hang with me. There's an intentional juxtaposition. There's a contrast laid alongside of, of the, this notion of and it's not just Luke doing storytelling, though he's a phenomenally good storyteller. It's, it's the way the living God choreographed it. You have the Son of God, literal incarnation, God taking on humanity, now born, now Emmanuel, God is now with us. And as though, the, as though the, the humbling circumstances of his birth weren't enough. Hotel overflow, stable manger, eh. Conditions no one would choose. Even, even the, the, the poor outsiders of his, if there were other babies born in Bethlehem that night, they weren't born in the stables. Right? That is, that is not, well, that's what they used to do back then. They went out to the stables to have their babies. No, no, no. As, as, as spectacularly unusual then as it would be now. So you have this, this phenomenally humble setting for his birth. And I know as the story progresses, we have this, this group of, of, of probably, probably wealthy and well-situated uh, Persian VIPs that are going to arrive in the narrative, although that is a good bit later in the story. It's certainly not there on this night. On this night, an announcement is to be made. You know, Jerusalem is just a few miles away. Herod the Great has been constructing and is well underway on the same temple that the adult Jesus will, will conduct so much of his public ministry in. So atop the temple mount in Jerusalem is the, is the spectacular temple of Herod the Great, 
well under construction. The Jewish people are settled and flourishing in the land. The Herodian dynasty, well established. Yes, the, the whole thing is under the sphere of the Roman Empire, but it's, it's a, a, there's a strong Jewish cultural framework with all of its temple activities and all of its, its uh, Pharisaic purity and Sadduceic intellect and politics and all of that is centered in Jerusalem. Over on the coast, Herod the Great, by this time, had also constructed the, the capital city of the Roman province of Judea, which is Caesarea, named for Caesar. Herod the Great knew what side his bread was buttered on. So he had constructed this massive capital city for the Roman governors over on the coast. Bethlehem is nowhere. Were it not for the prophecy of Micah, you and I, how many other small villages in first century Judah can you name? A few because New Testament things happen there. But Bethlehem is nowhere. And among the nowhere of Bethlehem, the shepherds are the nobodies. This is not where you expect this announcement to land. We're so accustomed to this account. As I, as I read it, anybody my age or older heard the voice of Linus under a spotlight in a Charlie Brown Christmas reciting that story in the King James, right? All, all of us 60s and 70s kids and older. And there were in the same country shepherds keeping watch. Right? This is not who you'd come to with a VIP announcement. The shepherds, the shepherds were, it was considered a dishonorable profession. Now, they had the 23rd Psalm. They had language equating the Lord with the great shepherd. They had the history of, of, of King David, the height of uh, Jewish prestige and power up to that point, the reign of the shepherd king, David. So from a, from a historical viewpoint, shepherding should have been something of an honorable profession, but it wasn't. No skills. I mean, okay, okay you're going to watch the flock and if a sheep starts to wander off, you're going to bat him back in place. You are now completely trained. Congratulations. By this time, there weren't any large predators still roaming in the wild in Judea by the time of, of Jesus, certainly not in as populated an area as the, the suburbs of Jerusalem, which is, you know, Bethlehem, just a, a few, few miles. So shepherding was the work you got when you didn't know how to do anything. They, there, there tended to be a lot of violence and rivalry Gangs of shepherds would get thuggish with each other. If my count came up short and your flock was right over there, I can fix my count being short. Catch you not looking. Catch you looking, I can beat you up and still fix my problem. It had gotten to the point, shepherds were not allowed to testify in court proceedings because everybody knew that if a shepherd is talking, he's lying. That was the state of shepherding. Further, 
Not only were they dishonorable, they were disqualified. Because of the nature of their work, sheep don't take a day off. So, so shepherding was an around the clock, around the week. They could not participate in, the, in the, all the ritual requirements that went with ceremonial purity to, to engage in the religious life. Much of those rituals, by the way, man-made. Much of them part of the sort of Pharisaic overhead. But because they were not able to disengage Generally, they were, they were basically ceremonially unclean for life. So they were, I mean, they were fringy. Nobody grew up wanting to be a shepherd. It's what you fell through to when other things didn't work out. Do you see a, an incredible pattern of humility emerging here? I mean, the first step is the biggest to go from an eternity of un of non-human deity, the state in which God the Son had eternally existed alongside God the Father, to become that which is going to have to blow his nose from time to time is a step of unfathomable enormity just to become human. And you would anticipate he would at least come into sort of a first class humanity because just the step to humanity at all. But he comes into this extraordinarily humble set of circumstances and then to underscore the point the first public announcement of his arrival made to the down and outs the outsiders the unclean the the morally questionable and on their routine night of work The angel of the, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. We've shared this before, but it's a good little mental hook for you to have. And this is true both the Old Testament and the New. Generally, it might not always be true, but every case I can think of it is. When you see the definite article with angel, the angel of the Lord, most often in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. That's God the Son stepping onto earth for a cameo. The angel of the Lord is generally the second person of the Trinity. An angel of the Lord is generally an angel. Interestingly enough, we've already seen a couple of encounters with, with the angel Gabriel, who's identified himself by name. It's just a point of Bible trivia that we, we have no idea whether this is Gabriel or whether it's somebody else. I don't know if Gabriel is, you know, he's just, he's on the Christmas flight line and it's, oh, I'm going back again, no problem. Or whether it's, I've already gone a couple of times, somebody else can have this one. I have no idea. You don't either, who this angel is. But Roman numeral two, Revelation. Revelation. 
I wish somebody would sell nativity sets with a scary angel. Because it always is like a, a, a winged Barbie doll. You, you wouldn't expect the winged Barbie doll in your, and I'm telling you to, I'm not telling you to go home and, 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 you know, not set out your nativity, but it's weird. We have these, we have medieval Renaissance art inspired angels in all of our nativity sets. The angel in your nativity set would not lead with fear not. She would lead with, so what's up? The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Letter A, terror. Under Roman 2, the revelation, letter A, terror. When the angel first appeared to Zechariah back in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he led with, don't be afraid. When the angel appeared to Mary back in chapter 1, verses 26 through 30, he led with, don't be afraid. There's something imposing about the appearance of this angelic being. And as if the angelic being weren't enough, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now that's remarkably significant because the glory of the Lord had last been seen in Israel about 600 years before when in Ezekiel chapter 10, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple. 200 years before the temple itself was destroyed. Israel had turned their back on God. And so the glory of God was withdrawn from the temple. About 600 years since anyone in Israel had seen the glory of the Lord. During the earthly ministry of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a brief reappearance of the glory of the Lord that night as Jesus sits on the Mount of Transfiguration and has a conversation with Moses and Elijah. Only a very small handful of people saw that. And in terms of the visibly apparent glory of the Lord, that's it. Until the sixth seal right before the day of the Lord. The glory of the Lord will again be visible on earth. So whatever that was, it was rare, bright, unusual, and scary. Whatever's going on here is a big deal. They're scared. You would have been too. I don't know if you remember, because I don't know how long since you came to faith in Christ. But one of the things that God does as his truth is unfolded to a fallen person's heart. We sing about it. Well, not often, because I think, it's, I think it's one of the verses further down. Twas grace that taught. What did grace teach me? If we sang that verse of amazing grace. Twas grace that taught 
my heart to fear. One of the first realizations, the first necessary realizations of a heart that is coming to come to faith in Christ is the awareness of that horrific and terrible sin debt. That God is real. God is enormous. God is righteous. God is wrathful. It's become very fashionable in our era to talk about people being saved from their sin. Well, strictly speaking, it's not merely your sin. It is the wrath of God that your sin is going to bring down on your head. You're saved from the justice of God when you're saved because of your sin. And it's kind of unsurprising that when these routine angels are first hit with the revelation of divine reality that they cannot explain or escape, their response is to be terrified. Probably was the case with you too. Not that I can probe into your emotional state when God, as God revealed his grace to you, one of the first steps is God had to reveal your sin to you. And the consequences of your sin, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Terrified letter B, not just terror, but tidings. Tidings, well, that's a good old um, archaic word. The ESV says, I bring you good news of great joy. I borrowed tidings from the King James because I needed a T for their news. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Interestingly enough, though his name, Jesus, has come up already in the text, neither, neither the angel in what he said nor Luke, in what he gave us as narrative around this, uses the name here. Instead, three titles. Unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ. That's not his name. That is his, one of his titles. It is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah. Christos in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew. The, the intervening Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Messiah, who also is the Lord. Three titles. This is a watershed. When Jesus encountered the woman at the well as, a, as an adult, off in John chapter 4, she was talking to this Hebrew stranger to her at the well. She said that, that we, we know that when the Messiah comes, he will, he will teach us all things. Of course, Jesus's response, I'm he. I am that Messiah. He's come. It's, it's the watershed issue. 
I look around the room tonight and I see a whole lot of familiar faces. And, and because of the time we've spent together, in a lot of cases, very familiar hearts. We've shared our stories. We've talked about Jesus together in a lot of cases, brothers and sisters around the room. But I don't know everybody, at least not real well. This news that a Savior who is Christ the Lord has come is a matter about which you dare not be neutral. The universe as it is, is not a universe of dualism, where there's good outcomes and bad outcomes, and they're basically evenly weighed, and you live your life in a series of perpetual choices, and one day, hopefully, the good outcome choices will outweigh the bad outcome choices, and some non-Hindu version of karma will kick in and, and there will be eternal payoffs if you've been basically a good person and eternal bad if you have been basically a bad person. That's, that's a pop culture, folk religion, horrific lying myth. You and I were born citizens of a world very much at war with God. And we came into that war very early in our own stories and we came in on the wrong side of it. We are born with a sinful nature because of our great, 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 great grandparents. And that sinful nature needs about that long to flower fully in us. If you're a parent, you know it. Oh, there are pictures of babies. Oh, he looks so innocent. His parents know better. Right? How many of y'all had to, well, our, our, here's our baby. Let's, let's teach our baby to be selfish. It's very important that our baby learn that. They come out of the womb knowing it, right? Selfishness, dishonesty, and pretty much everything else they can, that, that, that little innocent baby isn't. No such thing as an innocent baby except for this night in Bethlehem. This Savior who is Christ the Lord is life's watershed issue. It's the only matter that you must deal with in this life that has direct eternal consequences. A couple of trillion years from now, you won't remember what zip code you lived in. You won't remember whether you took that promotion or not. You won't remember. You tell me, I can't remember what I ate for lunch a week ago today. But you'll be keenly aware of whether you stepped into eternity with your sin debt forgiven or with your sin debt still on you. And you are going to consciously be you 10 trillion years from now and you will not have gotten started good yet on the span of eternity. The Savior who is Christ the Lord is a watershed issue. And this news is fantastically good news for those who are liberated by the grace of God. And this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, every baby in Bethlehem would have been wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was the cultural norm. That's what you did. Lying in a manger. Okay, there. That filters it down pretty tight. We're only going to find one of those. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. The word there, multitude, is the, is the Greek word myriados. And it typically, it, it, from which we get our English word myriad, it, it means, uh, if used in a technical sense, it means 10,000. Um, no idea how many there were. A bunch of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That really is a very good translation. Um, uh, goodwill toward men is too broad in general. Peace among men of goodwill. Some translations as though as though our being nice to each other is what these angels are singing about or shouting about or praising about. No, 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 no. These angels are announcing that the pleasure of God is going to come to rest on people. That a, 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 a pathway to being right with God is going to open through Jesus at God's initiative. Praise God. Well, Roman numeral three, a response. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The, the, the text doesn't say this. But I can just see Bubba. Did you see that? Sort of some version of did that just happen? Cause you know, it's out here, it's at night. I've been known to doze off on duty. I mean, I'm not admitting to anything in specifically, but that, that happened, right? Further, they would have had to make some arrangement. They couldn't just, okay, I need, somebody's going to draw the short straw and have to stay out here. But after, after, after settling in with what they had experienced, they responded to it. So did you, if you're born again. So did you. When God overwhelmed you with the news of your guilt and his grace, you came to Jesus. Maybe it was the first time you heard the gospel. Maybe it wasn't. you responded when he overwhelmed you with the reality of who he is and who you are. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad my salvation didn't depend on some version of my free will. Because there's no such thing. Our wills are enslaved to our sinful nature. Be very, very careful with the notion of absolute free will. 
God cannot lie. That's a scriptural quote. Does that mean God lacks free will? No, it means God is, God has to be God-ish. He cannot lie, he cannot deny himself. The living God's outcome, decisions, and character are tied to his nature. It's not that he does not lie, he cannot lie. You and I, in our lost condition, were tied to our nature. Romans 8 says, the, the fleshly mind cannot please God. It is at war with God. It is at enmity with God until the grace of God overwhelms us. Glory to God. Glory to God. He pursues. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And he did and he does. So their response, we got to know more. We got to know more. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Their response was to go and see. You know what I love about, so many things to love about the Lord Jesus and about the quote unquote Christian religion. The truth of the living God invites aggressive inquiry. Ask the questions. Jesus said, ask. You shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. We never have to be in a setting where, oh, we don't we don't ask that. Hey, can I can I go to the Mormon temple and say, you know, about this this massive millions of people with a modern technological society on North America in pre-Columbian times that came over here with all the, the, the lost tribes who sailed transatlantically and built this huge Jewish culture and civilization in North America. How come there's no archaeological evidence for it at all? We, we don't ask that. We don't ask that. Not a good question. You know, we never, ever, 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 ever. We might have to say, I have no idea to some questions that come up. We do have to grapple with mystery. There are some things that are true, but puzzling. I would be the first to admit that. But there are no such thing as out of bounds questions. The Christian faith invites inquiry. It invites, if you, well, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to intellectually deconstruct my Christianity. Bring it. The word of God is an anvil that has worn out every hammer that's ever banged on it. Take your turn. Take your turn. These shepherds had the right response. We've, we've seen some stuff that blows us away. Let's look more deeply into it. It's a great response. Go and see. So they did. They, they went into Bethlehem. Um, let's see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, Roman numeral four, 
not just response. Roman numeral four, responsibility. Responsibility. When they saw it, the text is not calling Jesus an it. The it they saw was the whole scene. Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger, just as the angel had told them. When they saw that whole scene, they made known what had been told them concerning this child. What had, what had been made known to them, that he was the Savior, Christ the Lord. When they saw it, they made it known. That's the responsibility. That's always been the responsibility. That's later on, a few decades down the road, the Apostle Paul is going to use the word picture ambassadors for Christ. But the idea is right here. Once you've come and seen, go and share. There's your true meaning of Christmas. The Savior, who is Christ the Lord, has come. And out of all of humanity, a few of us, including many of us in this room, have come and seen. We know him to be true. We bear the responsibility to go and tell. Boy, I want to affirm Brother Chad's challenge. We, um, we do Christmas at our house. We have decided that November 5th, which before Levi was born, all November 5th had going for it was Guy Fawkes Day. If you're not British, that doesn't mean much to you. But four years ago, November 5th became Levi's birthday, our oldest grandson. And it is on Levi's birthday that the Christmas trees at our house are fair game. Up they come. October 31 has had four or five days to cool off. Fine. We're going up with a Christmas tree by November 5th. Right now at our house, it's almost fully populated with wrapped presents under said Christmas tree. Gail is a phenomenal organizer of, of, of Christmas present stuff from, from I, sweetheart, July, maybe, maybe earlier. I don't know. She's thinking about it. She's squaring it away for our sons, their wives, our grandkids, some other family members. We're pretty much good to go at our house because Gail is a force of nature. I've done my part and still have a couple of things to work on. And we're into it. And that's all okay. But we're not going to lose that the heart of the thing, we're not angels. We're not wise men. We're not Mary. We're not Joseph. We're certainly not the king of kings in that manger. We are routine, interrupted 
down and out shepherds who have encountered phenomenal truth and phenomenal grace from way beyond ourselves, who have been invited to come and see and now are charged to go and tell. Let's do that, shall we?